You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. Okay, here we go. We're going to launch in Philippians 2, and uh, we'll we'll see how we go. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, out of chapter 1. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always making in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that who we began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Take note of that, church. For you all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that you love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, we come now to pray gathering together, Lord God, in this place which you have given to us. We pray, God, that you'd sanctify yourself in our hearts. I pray for my friends, your church, God. So many needs, and you know every single one of them. And so bring sufficiency to this moment by the power of the Holy Spirit. Release unto your church the Holy Spirit and grant to them all things in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone says out loud. Amen. Amen. Okay, very simple title to this message. Very title of this message is, Open Your Heart. <laughs> Open Your Heart. So what happens to us is as we go through life, as we journey, and as we live, we come to places where many things hurt us, and many other circumstances are difficult, and we find ourselves unintentionally. No one intentionally hardens their heart. Now, that doesn't really happen. Uh, we actually have things that come to us and come against us, and sometimes gorillas that bang in our chest and hurt us, and we have circumstances like that. And so we find ourselves, though, nonetheless, needing to open our hearts, needing to open our hearts to God and open our hearts to one another. You cannot read the Bible. The very Bible itself is communicating to you a story that is true, that is real, of people who opened their hearts for God, and he did miracles in their lives. And so so here we are in this book of Philippians where miracles were done to these beautiful people, and they saw great things done in their lives. Abraham and Sarah opened their hearts to God and they saw God do tremendous miracles. David opened his heart to God as a young lad and he saw God do great miracles. Peter became an apostle. Very complicated man. Very, very complicated man. And yet he would open his heart to God after tremendous failure. You got to think about Peter. Jesus is going to the cross and you see it behind me. And he's denying the very Savior who's going to save him verbally. Opened his heart to God after all of that and saw miracles. Apostle John, much the same way. And we come here uh, to the Apostle Paul, and he has opened his heart to God after being a terrorist, really. And so, church, here's what I want you to understand. Your life changes when you open your heart to God and see that Jesus is trustworthy. It's a very simple and direct statement that Paul is talking about here as he's mentioning 
by these words, the very trustworthy nature of God. So, very simple outline is we're just going to kind of talk about a few things. I want to talk about a spirit of offense and how to reject it, uh, stepping into Paul's passion and seeing that Jesus is, is rather trustworthy. Uh, verse 7, by, by way of emphasis here, Paul is talking about this beautiful church. These people were so faithful. He said, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. So I don't know what your experience with church is. I pray that it's positive. Uh, I, I pray that we're here a blessing to one another. But what you need to know is that pastors love their sheep. You know, we are under shepherds under Christ. He is the true shepherd, according to 1 Peter. He is the real shepherd. So anybody in my role is merely an under shepherd. And we actually love our sheep. We love our flock. And, and, and so in terms of the Philippian church here, Paul loved these people and they loved him back. And they were one in that sense in a very powerful way. And so he makes this, this, this comment here of this deep and personal nature. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. And you have to know that your pastor holds you in his heart like I do. And I, I worry about you. I'm concerned about you in many different ways. And we pray. We pray for one another. We have prayer meetings for one another. We are worshiping today because we are actually holding one another in our hearts. talk about this spirit of offense kind of related to cancel culture, but I'm not going not to belabor it. Uh, Paul, in terms of this context of where he is at, is actually in prison. So he writes to this church that he loves. He was the apostle and pastor with them for a bit of time, but now he's in prison for preaching the gospel. So he's not with them. And now he's worried about them. And so an easy way to think about the geography of the Bible is to think about Corinth is in Greece. This is ancient Greece. And it's not, the, it's, not it's overly simplistic. But just down the street is Philippi. And just down the street, another direction or so, is Thessalonica, where we have the Thessalonians. And uh, there's letters that Paul writes of these. And he was a founding pastor. He was the apostle of them. He's part of the shepherd of them. And the Philippians were very different. You know, you talk about the Corinthians. If you know your Bible, then you know that there was really stern words that were mentioned in the book of Corinthians. And so, so my best study, and I've changed on this related to the Corinthian church, is to realize that they had no pastor because God didn't give them one <laughs> because they were so rebellious. This was a cantankerous, really combative group of people. And so... Paul would send other evangelists in, and they would stay, of course, for a period of time, which was usually a year or two, and then they were gone. And then there would be another one that would come, and then another one that would come. And it would be, as far as I can tell church history, about 100 years before the culture would change in Corinth, and the people would change, and God would actually plant to them this sentinel of a pastor who would actually be able to shepherd them. But that's not true here in Philippi. These people, they got it. I mean, they got it. The it, they got it. They got Jesus Christ. They got love. They got sacrificing for one another. They got the ministry for one another, the ministry in their town and their community. They got that. And so Paul here is in prison. He's writing to them these things where they're, you're in my heart. 
And now continuing on, both in verse 7, both in my imprisonment and in defense, that's apologia, that's apologetics. It's all the truthful reasons by which God is true and confirmation of the gospel, meaning that we see over and over again this confirmation. So, so Paul, very, very interesting. He knew, he knew the culture. And, I, you know, we're all the same. We tend to think that we're different. We're all the same, and the ancients were the same, and we're the same because we're people. And so there were other people that criticized Paul and criticized these New Testament preachers. There were people there that criticized him. So, for example, I'm a cross-reference, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, if you want to go in your Bibles with me there. And in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, there's this verse that's very interesting. So that's verse 10. For they say, 2 Corinthians 10, 10. For they say, Paul is quoting people that are criticizing him. His letters are weighty and strong. Right? So that is actually a dig. Because, right? yeah, he has some substance to him. Because he's a man who's met with God very uniquely. And he's a very intelligent man by natural talent. His letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily appearance is weak and his speech of no account. So do you know what that criticism is? He's not much. When he writes, who can understand him? Which is fascinating talking to Greeks. And then when he's talking, well, we've got all kinds of better preachers and speakers and, you know, oratory, uh, people with great oratory skills. He's nothing. He's nothing at all, really. His speech is of no account. And so Paul understands this. So if you go a chapter earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 7, verse, uh, verse 2, here's what Paul says. He says, make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and live together. Am I acting with great boldness towards you? Have I great pride in you? I am filled with comfort in all of our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. So here's what Paul is saying. I know the score. I know that when I leave and I'm not here, that some people might come from the hills or come down over here and they're going to tell you something that's not of Christ. And they're going to be selfish and they're going to want things from you. And they're not going to have the Spirit of God. They're not going to be of the right character. They're going to have the name Jesus, but they're these people and they're going to present Christ wrongly to you. And so I am here to model this for you and I am writing to you Scripture and these words so that you will not get led astray. Spirit of offense. There's people, not the Philippian church, but people around that community were offended at Paul because he was not tall. He was not good looking. He was not young. He was not muscular and masculine of appearance. He had some physical slights to him. And people said, I don't really like that guy as my pastor. Let's talk about the spirit of offense. Paul is sort of insinuating when he writes this and he continues on in verse 8, which I'll get to in a moment. So listen, a spirit of offense. Here's, here's, a, here's a, just a sort of elementary way. There's many, many layers to this. 
But here's a way of understanding that the spirit of offense is when people make mountains out of molehills. You get that? Okay, they make mountains out of molehills and then they climb their own mountain, which is really a molehill, and they take self-justification and pride in doing that. That's really that spirit of offense. They're gonna, they're gonna take and make mountains out of molehill, deceiving, they're gonna be deceived at what they are justifying themselves to have. That's a version of the spirit of offense. And I'm here to tell you that the only thing that holds back as far as I can discern in these days, not just our church, but our entire community, if I could pick on one thing, Pastor, what do you think is holding back our community from coming to Christ? What do you think is holding back even our church from coming to Christ? I'm going to tell you it's the spirit of offense. It's powerful. It's palatable. And our entire community has it for many reasons, for many different reasons. And so we are here to be those people who love even our enemies if we have them. I hope you don't have them. But we are called by God to actually even love them in truth and in love, but to even love them, to offer forgiveness to every single person. I didn't get a lot of amens on that, did I? Some of those are going to hurt, right? Some of those are going to hurt. I know exactly what I'm saying when I say to offer forgiveness over every single person. And I'm here to tell you, church, you cannot do it in the natural. You cannot. Our faith is supernatural. We have to come from God, or excuse me, Christ needs to arrive in our hearts and grant to us a supernatural arrival of his forgiveness by the blood of Christ over our own hearts. That creates a transformation in us. That creates a character and some weight and some depth in God so that having received that from God, I now have the moral and spiritual courage and the ability to offer to other people what they are desperately needing, and that is that forgiveness. That spirit of offense is thick, friends. It is not easy to do away with. Not even in a church like ours, which teaches the scriptures and is committed to us. It is a constant spiritual problem. In our community, is <laughs> thick with the pride, self-justification, and a holding back because of so many different kinds of wounds, and you throw on money and all kinds of other layers to it, and people are deceived and confused and not set free. And so much of this is in the personal, in the one-on-one, -on -one, to just stop somebody socially or whatever the case is, and honestly lay hands on them and say, brother and sister, can I pray for you right now that you would actually just enter into forgiveness. Receive it and give it as well. So this spirit of offense is big. It's really big. And so Paul would actually to the churches in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, he says, I came to you, the apostles come to you, pastors come to you as tender moms. They're like moms and they're, they're tender amongst you. They actually want to gather you in in the most tender way. Their, their motivations are for you to know God and Christ and to have his love. 
So this church, Philippians, was an outlier. Uh, They loved God. They loved worship. They loved fellowship. They loved Paul. They loved each other. They actually loved their community as they went and ministered to their community that did not like them in many ways. Many people that were different with them. They had very different sexual appetites and many different ways of handling money and wealth. And pretty much everything was different. Yet this church in Philippi would go to those people and bring them the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about verse 8 here and Paul's passion. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So those are his more intimate words for what he's talking about. And he's passionate about the idea of yearning is the idea of having passion. Uh, Other Bible translations will call it longing. Uh, Paul's passion. Well, he had joy in the Holy Spirit and in the Word of God. He, had, he loved being in the ministry. He loved evangelism. He loved church planting. He loved doing it, and they loved supporting that financially, and they loved being a part of it. Most of all, they loved being in fellowship with God and God's people. So if you somehow have a deception in your mind of following Jesus Christ, but not being in fellowship with God's people, trust me, it's a deception in your mind. <laughs> that God, God has raised up Christians to love being around one another. I mean, that, that's part of the joy of it. It's a unique fellowship. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to be amongst people who are, who are walking in the same spiritual language of forgiveness and love and truth and actually having confessions that they're not all that. Nobody here, if they're in the ranch church. I mean, look at it. If you think you're all that, you should probably go to another church because nobody here, the foundation of the church, we don't think we're all that. If you don't think I'm a very good preacher, you're probably right. You know, I mean, you know, if you think there's better public speakers, you're probably right. If you think there's better worship, you're probably right. Then dismiss yourself and go find them. We are who we are without any apology, and we love you. You know, and there's no one here is trying to be famous. No one here is trying to be fancy. We are who we are in that moment. So it's a privilege to be in fellowship with you. I'm talking personally now. And to have friends and to have a connection and to have a joy. And so these are the things that Paul was impassioned about it. Listen, don't take church for granted. You got that? That's the other way of saying it. Don't take church for granted. Don't take worship for granted. Don't take teaching of the word for granted. Don't take gathering together with people who want to love you in some way, shape, or form for granted. Don't ever take that for granted. Jesus calls the church a pure, spotless bride. That's what together, all of us, broken, (laughs) different, weak, not all that people coming together, he formulates supernaturally. He says, yeah, there goes the ranch church. I want to make that into a pure spotless bride. Paul will say, related related to yearning for people and love and the church, in Romans chapter 1, verse 11, he says, for I long to see you. That's the same word here that is translated yearn, how I yearn for all of you. 
In Romans 1.11, he'll say, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Okay, so let's talk about that. One of the reasons that we gather together is so that you can be imparted gifts, strength, uh, things that you need that you maybe don't even know about in the moment. And Paul wanted this for the church at Rome. 2 Corinthians 5.2, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, meaning that, that you as a Christian, if you're a Christian, if you're born again, if you're following Christ, then no matter how beautiful this is, no matter how great your life is, there's an element in your life where you are actually longing for heaven because you understand as the days go on that this is not our home. We should do good here. We should have ministries here. We should build hospitals and schools and all the other good works can be there. We should build churches. But I'm going to heaven. Who's coming with me? And in heaven, I get a new body. Some of you look like you might need a new body. And that body's going to be perfect, and we're going to be with the Lord. And there's going to be billions and billions and billions of other people. It's an entire society and adventure. Incredible. It's quite possible that we explore the galaxies with God that he makes and makes and makes and is made. And we long for our heavenly dwelling. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, related to longing. Paul says, I remember your tears. I long to see you. Speaking about Timothy, that you may be filled with joy. That's his spiritual son in 2 Timothy 1, 4. The gospel revolves around this. It's the, church, the church is not a social club in the sense that it has, it has social skills, it has social opportunities, but the purpose is the gospel. And the gospel gives and produces a fruit of socialization within the church that is sweet. It's a secondary thing, not a primary thing. That's why the church cannot be killed. That's why it always endures. That's why it always perseveres. The gospel is God in heaven came to earth to bring us into intimacy with God. I just spoke about forgiveness, but don't think that that is actually what the gospel is about. That is that God looked at you and I and he said, I am going to bring you to what you were designed for, an intimate relationship. What do I have to get out of the way to make that happen? Are you with me, church? Okay, so we got to get, first of all, forgiveness out of the way. Then we got to get faith out of the way. Then we got to get repentance out of the way. I have to impart to you the ability to have faith so that you can repent, and that creates that born-again experience by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the fruit of that is all the forgiveness. The fruit of that is all the other things that come with it. All right, so I actually... In many ways, I can't sing. Do you guys want to hear me sing? You are just wrong for wanting me to do that. Not going to do that. I have done it in the past. But I've actually been kind of meditating on some old hymns. And I'm going to read one to you related to the gospel. And it says this. It says, Oh, can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood. Died he for me, 
who causes pain. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? That's really good theology. That's really, really good. I actually missed a line, but we'll keep moving. Oh, how can it be that God would die for me and then give me all the benefits of fellowship and all the things that we've mentioned? How is that possible? Paul goes on and says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes to you, Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you abound more and more in love and knowledge and discernment and approve what is excellent? In other words, how do you grow and stay in love and yet approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless? Listen, let me just give you this. It's Jesus is trustworthy. Reject the spirit of offense. Step into this passion that Paul had and understand that Jesus is trustworthy. I'll do this very, very quickly. Jesus has some elements that I want you to understand by which he is trustworthy. So the first is he understands. Everybody say the word understand. Understand. He understands you. Don't blow past that. The nature of understanding is he listens to you. Why does he listen to you? Do you know why he listens to you? Why does he listen to you? Because he loves you. I don't know why he listens to me. He sometimes lets me pray over and over about the same things. And then I go over and over about the same things. He says, all right, come. Tell me. Over and over. Why? Why does he do that? Because he loves you. So Jesus is trustworthy because how you can experience him is he understands. You should write that down. You should know that. He's listening. Psalm 139 says he's listening. Second, Jesus is trustworthy because his motives are pure. Again, go with me. Everybody say the word pure. His motives are pure. What are your motives? Generally like. That's right. (laughs) We're not that. His motives are pure. I've gone through for months upon end trying to teach about the word Yahweh. And the word Yahweh is given as the breath of life to say it as best correctly as we can. You can't really get it very easily in English because we're Latinized speakers. So we say Yahweh. And that's not the right way. The right way is actually the baby's cry. You know this, right? It's a baby's cry. When we record a baby crying now, lots of research being done on this, the babies as they're stuttering and their birth and their birth are actually saying forms of Yahweh because that's their first breath, which is the point of the name, which he says, know me by Yahweh, I am your breath. I'm the first breath. I'm the baby's breath. That baby as it's crying is actually uttering and stuttering my name, my holy name with its first breath, Yahweh, that baby is doing that. You know what happens again? When you die. That last breath, shallow, shallow, shallow. I've been with many people as they passed. 
shallow and shallow and shallow. Is every motive is pure. Third, how Jesus is trustworthy is that he has ability to do what he says. He's absolutely unstoppable. And the resurrection is proof that he has that ability. And yet he is actually the unstoppable God. And so I can pray and I can see things that are against my life. I can see things that are against my church. I can see things that are against my community. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I can cancel evil because he is the unstoppable God. It has nothing to do with you and me. It is because of an invitation that he has given to you to pray to him, to talk to him, to come to him, and to see if you don't see the unstoppable nature of God. He has character. He understands. He has motives are pure. He has ability. He has character, which means he has real integrity, which God is always God. God cannot always, he must always be God. So when I talk to some of you, I'll look at you, and some of you have seen me, and I'll try and be transparent with you, and they'll say, hey, you're, you're, not, you're not doing well, are you? You having a good day? You're not having a good day. I go, oh, I'm not myself. And some of you guys will stop me, right? Ace Hardware, right? Any grocery store, whatever. Some of you guys stop me. Go, oh, Pastor, I'm not myself. Okay, you're not yourself. Let's pray. I remember you to my prayers because we have moments where that's natural. We're not ourselves. Never God. God is always God. God has a track record, lastly, fifthly, that's perfect. God's track record is without blemish. Absolutely, absolutely without blemish. Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com.